it's really been an exciting thing. I think sometimes in our line of work, you build something and you're like, okay, this is kind of cool. It might, you know, might help a classroom or two. And then you start using it with actual humans yourself. And you're like, whoa, how did this come together like this? Like this is something really special. everybody to another episode of Resilience Conversations. I am Ginger Lumen and I am here with Rebecca Lewis Pankratz. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, friends. And we get to have another special guest with us today. And uh, and, and you're laughing because, <laughs> because she's like, I'm not special. Uh, you're just a member of the team. Here's the thing, guys. Rebecca and I were talking. Rebecca says, you know, we never just get to talk with our team. You know, we're, our team is always interviewing other people. And this is a, we just decided that we were just going to take the opportunity to just pull Katie from the massive amount of work that she's mm-hmm. been doing and say, can we steal 30 minutes with you? And talk to you about you, your passion, your work, your love. So we are here with Katie Perez today. Hey, Katie. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to hopefully get a chance to... uh kind of open up her brain a little (laughs) and uh, dig in and see what's there. And uh, you guys can kind of learn a little bit more about her as a human being rather than just uh, serving, I don't know, serving the stuff that you're needing. I'm I'm so good. I'm done with the introduction. Great. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So friends, we are so excited to just be um, spending time in in your world, wherever you may be. And uh, in usual resilience team fashion, we just want to start with a check-in. Mad, sad, glad, or afraid today. Um, So for me, I am super, super glad I have been digging back into some spiritual practices and have uncovered a well of Uh, character defects that I need to work on. And I'm so glad about that. I am a little afraid about some of the amends that I need to make to get my side of the street clean. Am I ticked off? Well, hmm. honestly, I can't think of anything I'm mad about today. So that is great. Um, Sad, uh, just that I still have so much work to do on myself in order to be a better human. So Ginger, what about you? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, quickly thinking what's going on in my world. I have, um, I've got a lot of glad. I've got a lot of afraid. Uh, glad right now um, because I've decided that um, I needed to put a little more structure into my world around food. And funny, funny enough that when I put structure around food, there's a whole lot of other structure just miraculously comes to my life. Like my house is spotless <laughs> and has been for a while now um, that uh, I was able to get some work done. We've got a, we've got a hashtag book alert coming up real soon. Uh, so that the body of that work is finished. And, um, yeah, the afraid is that there's been a, another piece of work that I was assigned that I just decided to ignore. <laughs> and I might be telling my boss that right now, <laughs> that I just kind of ignored that as I was getting this other stuff done. So there's some fear. Um, yeah. So Sad and mad, um, always sad, and um, I don't think I have any mad right now. Nope. 
I'm good. Thanks, Ginger. Thanks. We got we got two for two for two. No mad. That's a, a great morning so far. <laughs> Katie, how about you? Oof. Um, you know, it's it's been the month. I know we're in March right now. I have no idea when this will actually go through, but the month of March has been a doozy. Um, and so I think I've had a lot of the mad, sad, and afraid for the past oof, um, 25, 30 days. Um, and it's hard for me to even sort them out sometimes. Uh, today, specifically this morning, showing up glad I haven't been on this side of the podcast um, in a while. I haven't actually been in the podcast in a while. So um, excited to be here. Um, I'm glad to be with the two of you. I haven't got to spend any time with the two of you in quite a while. So that's really nice. Um, a little sad. My daughter's really struggling with some things. And um, it's been, I think this will probably come up in some of our questions today. It's been an interesting look at how do I walk the work that I do um, and not just talk it. Um, so some afraid there and some sad there, I think. Um, I don't know that I really have any mad today. I think I can really sort it out into sad and afraid right now, the mad that I that I do have. I'm, I'm very aware that it's more sad and afraid than mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's where I'm at. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to something the other day, and they said afraid always spins down. And if we're not, like, in tune with that, then it spins back up as our mad, yeah. right? And so I was love like, that. oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. I mean, I hate that, but I love it. <laughs> Katie, we're just going to dig in because we are really thrilled um, to just share. There's there's so much depth and weight to who you are and the work that you bring to the world. Um, and sometimes you just go off and you just start taking it to the world. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what a um, adventure we get to have today was we just really stop and share some of this. And so we're just going to kind of start with um, a simple question. It's very simple. What does it mean to be a trauma-informed educator? Simple? (laughs) You're funny. Um, So trauma-informed educator. First of all, I'm really, I'm struggling with the word trauma-informed lately. Mm. Um, I really prefer to just use trauma-responsive. I think that informed is great, um, but if I was to rewrite the continuum that is well used, I would say responsive because I think that that's where action is. Mm. Um, And I get that informed means that all of your policies and practices have been informed by the science of trauma and resilience. Um, But I think people are always responsive, always trauma-responsive. And it just, for me, means that you are aware of how your own experiences have shaped you and the way that you respond to other humans around you. And that in that you give others the grace to embrace curiosity around what's happened to them. And so you're, I don't know, we, we, we stole this phrase from our inspired leadership people, but just that, that process of always releasing judgment and embracing curiosity. Mm. And as I've learned to do that more, it's something I I think that I've tried to do or maybe naturally did for most of my career, even before trauma-informed became a thing. Um, The more I try to do it, the more compassion I have for other people. And so I find it hard now that I would consider myself to be a trauma-responsive educator. I find it hard to look at anything in the world and um, assume assume ill intent or um, malice or wrong on another human. 
And the way I'll kind of describe that in this moment is I think a trauma responsive educator. So today is March 28th. And so those listening, we're obviously listening in the future at some point. But yesterday, there was another school shooting. And when I read the article, my heart just broke for the person who perpetrated that violence. Mm -hmm. And I think that a trauma responsive educator understands that there are consequences for that kind of violence in the world and that it is never okay, that, that we want to say never again and mean never again. Uh, but that person needed help too. And I think a trauma responsive educator looks at situations like that and says, how do we do differently? How do we, how do we change our system so that that kid, you know, when they were little, when they were five, when they were 12, when they were 15, when they were 38, however old they were, what did they need? And what could our system have done differently um, so that we don't have to face these things anymore? This is about all humans. Mm. So I think that's, that's the definition I'd give. Katie, there's so much there. And, you know, when you think about what could we have done? What what do we need to be really digging into in our system? And so when you think about a trauma responsive system or a trauma responsive building, trauma responsive school, what are some of the dynamics that are occurring there? Hmm. Um, one is high, high levels of trust between all stakeholders. And so that involves the youth that are coming into the building, the adults that are coming in to teach, um, the adults that are coming in to do any, not just teach. Um, my belief is if you're in the building, you're teaching no matter what your role is. So any adult mm -hmm. entering the building for a professional reason um, and any adult that is in the community and serving the building in any way um, through their tax dollars, to be honest. Um, and so high trust with all of those people. And then the second piece would be um, everybody has the opportunity for relationships. Uh, everybody has a response, has an opportunity to be responsible for something, to have their voice heard, mm. to have choice within it. Um, and then we cannot get away without saying that there is super high, high levels of accountability and expectation in these kinds of buildings. And I think that's where we're missing the, um, the true position of trauma responsive schools is that it is about clear. Um, Carmen always says clear is kind, right? And so clear, high accountability and expectations for people creates trauma responsive environments. And I don't believe we have that in schools. Katie, thanks. I, I would say we have a, a long ways to go with that as well. And that, um, as we start to actually see the humans in front of us, yeah. it's easy to kind of rest on our laurels and be like, ah, oh, there's so much pain and let's just love them. And we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. because there is, you know, some, some really um, high accountability and discipline in a lot of places. Now we bring in the human aspect and we've got to make those things yeah, live together. Balance them. Yes. We do so that people can learn and grow. Yeah. And um, I think just everywhere in education, Ginger and I used to do the bulk of our work was project-based learning for a really long time. And one of the things I would explain in project-based learning was um, in education, if you've been in education for two weeks, you've seen the pendulum swing. 
right? <laughs> and so, and it's just such a cliche thing, but I take a project-based learning. We went from doing thematic units and thematic teaching in the beginning of my career. And then somebody came in and said, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. Here are your standards and you need to be teaching these things. Get away from all of your fun themes and units and blah, blah, blah. Just teach these standards. And all of a sudden I'm doing some pretty hard rote memorization with five-year-olds and it Mm. didn't feel right. Mm. And for me, project-based learning is in the middle of that, Mm. right? Because I can take my themes and I can take the standards and I can do something relevant and meaningful for kids and their learning. I think we did the same thing in trauma-responsive education. We went from let's have punishment and accountability to, oh my gosh, kids are experiencing something. Let's just love them. And neither one of those, any extreme in the world is never going to be where the answer is. The answer is always in the middle. And so the middle there is accountability and discipline with high love, right? High love and high high trust and relationships. Katie, yes. And I would just like what came up for you when you're saying that. And, you know, how do we get our own kind of egos out of the way so that we can start to really look at conflict and disruption Mm -hmm. as a place to move towards with processes to work through that to deepen relationships? Yeah. That's one of the things that I really like about the word responsive here, because when you say responsive, I think it leaves room. Trauma informed versus trauma responsive. Responsive allows room for me to grow to continue to learn, to continue to shift, continue to respond. And uh, the the informed doesn't necessarily. It's kind of like you've arrived. I've arrived. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then some of the things that I am continuing to grow on personally uh, would be that moving toward conflict. Mm. And, and ugh, that's the worst thing. <laughs> ugh. I, I'm really good at avoiding the thing and being like, oh, yeah, never mind. We'll work over here instead. And so then I'm, I'm curious with, with people who are listening, if they were in this, if they are in the same boat or not, if working and moving toward conflict. I think that's almost seems to be the last bastion in this movement. Because I hear a lot of trauma-informed educators not talking about that sort of thing. Conflict like, and yeah. conflict resolution. A lot of yeah. love kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or that they're moving towards conflict discussion is getting lost because all people are hearing is the love kids part. Uh, that's I fair. I think that's part that's of it fair. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not the host here, but I think this is leading me into that next question yeah, I great. see on the paper, great. Rebecca. Can what you... did? What do I know today that I didn't know five years ago? And what's so funny is um, I'm going to go back a little further than five years. I'm going to go 14 to when um, you know I was in my mid-20s. And I just had this conversation with someone yesterday that... Um, what I know now is how little I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it maybe doesn't seem that way when you talk to me, but what, you get, what you've got to know about me is a solid Enneagram five here. And so all I do is research. Like that is my passion and my life is to dig into new things and learn. And so I'm constantly doing that. And the more I learn, the more I realize I have to revise my thinking. And that's really hard work. It's really hard to constantly look at something and um, shift what you thought you knew and question who you were before you knew that. And one of the things that cracks me up, I actually had this conversation with another person, was I hate that Maya Angelou quote. And if you have heard me on podcasts before, you've heard me say this because it comes up all the time. It's a big trigger for me. The quote of, you do as well as you can until you know better and then you do better. That has always felt like such a cop out to me just know better. Just know better now. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> <Right>? Like, <laughs> and then I realize that that sounds horrible. <laughs> Um, because I, because I think it is, it's a pursuit. I am constantly pursuing to be a better person than I am right now or that I was yesterday. And, um, that's, I think that's the work of becoming trauma responsive is knowing that you don't know anything. When you walk into your classroom and you're faced with other humans, you don't know them. And I was listening to something last night that talked about there is no, it was actually in, Beth Moore's um, memoir that just came out. And she talked about how there are no ever, there's never a single outcome from anything. That a head-on collision, we treat head-on collisions like every single one of them is going to have the same impact. And yet in every car accident there is, the impact is different. Even if the cars came out with very similar, almost identical injuries, the vehicles, the humans inside of them, they will never have the same experience, even if they were within the same car. And I think that we forget that in life when we try to generalize too much. So that's what I've learned in the past five years, past 14 years. I don't know anything. I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, Katie, I'm glad you're in good company. Because, um, yeah, the, the longer I'm here, the less I know. And what I really kind of picked up on there was this idea that it really is about experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, knowledge comes in and new ideas come in, and I have to be willing to let go of old old beliefs, old ideas. I have to be willing to challenge and experience um, and really let go, mm-hmm. right? And that is um, also a lifelong pursuit. It is. And in order to do that, we've got to give ourselves time and space to, to poke and prod and ponder. Because some people, again, being different as we are, some people can go, uh, that's new. And uh, yep, okay, got it. I, I've shifted, right? <laughs> and then other people really have to wrestle with it yeah, for a while and yeah. get quiet yeah. and really ponder. Now, what does this mean in this aspect? How about that aspect? And, 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 and so to have space for yourself to be quiet and listen to yourself, uh, as well as allow that for other people in the world. You know, Ginger, early on when we really started to wrap our our collective um, minds around this and and ask the universe what we were supposed to be doing, I did pick up on this this kind of principle that came from others before us. And they said, you know, this work really deepens and unfolds over time. Mm. And I just have found that to be um, incredibly true. And you're right. I mean, some folks, when you go into a room and you start talking about this, they're like, yep, I'm there. Sign me up. Where do we go? What's next? And others are going, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of that is valuable. Yes. And to allow people to have that Mm -hmm. space of, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. And, And watch them in, you know, as they go out and investigate and explore and test Right. Like, hmm. But once we have these ideas, um, they do something to us. And that's the cool part of this work. And it really is all about finding our way back to each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ginger, you got a question there? I feel like we hit a place where we're ready for something, something else to ask, put in front of Katie. I think I am. So, Katie, you and I have been partnering for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many. Do you know how many? Eight. Eight. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Oh, yeah. It seems like a lifetime. Seems Because like it kind of has lifetime. been a couple of lifetimes in, in that way. But w- elementary is kind of where we have split. You've We've done a lot of the work together differently. Mm-hmm. But you've taken on an elementary charge, or I've taken on the secondary charge. If you were starting to think about your elementary teacher 
friends, colleagues, um, what would you tell them that that would be really good for them to spend their time on this summer? Hmm. Um, again, I hope people who are listening to this either know me or can vouch for me here because um, I'm going to say something that's probably not going to hit the ears very kindly. And I think what people need to spend time doing this summer is um, recharging their passion for what they've decided to dedicate their lives to. And people could choose to do that in any way that they want. Um, But I think part of being trauma responsive is telling people when it's time to get out of the hole and to love them out of it, right? And we've been in a hole as educators for the past three years. And I know it's hard. I know that there's a lot of things happening legislatively across the country that is ridiculously hard to deal with, right? It's hard. Um, I know that COVID just ran you into the ground and that you're exhausted and that you don't feel supported and you don't feel heard and all of the things, right? Um, I've done some work in the, into looking into teacher burnout and compassion fatigue and what we need. And um, sadly, I think the answer is we need each other. We need, we need to be with each other during this time. We need to be supportive of each other and, and stop throwing daggers where there aren't daggers to throw. Mm-hmm. And um, reunite into why we decided to become teachers in the first place. And we decided to become teachers, I believe, the vast majority of us. I don't think anybody in the world came to teacher to harm kids, right? That's, and nobody did it for the money. Um, <laughs> super cliche, right? Um, came teachers to influence the future. And are you influencing the future? That's the question I'm going to ask you and that I would encourage you to dig in this summer. And whatever that looks like for you, that might look like sitting on the beach with a fancy drink with an umbrella in your hand, right? And that's what you need to recharge. It might be digging into something that was you were passionate about in 2019. What were you passionate about? Mm. And are you digging back into that and finding it again? Mm. Because we've given away the ownership of our passion to other people who are limiting us. And we're just sitting in the hole. And so I'm offering for you a hand to reach in and pull you out and say, take control back. Jump up. What were you passionate about? Spend your summer doing that. And get ready to come back in August because those kids need you. We've given away the passion, the control of our passion. control of our passion. For those who are limiting us. Yeah. I want to ponder on that phrase for a while. I want people to write that down and think, what was your passion, like you're saying? And and how have we given it away? How has it been wrested from us? Who is doing it? And do we want to fight them, or do we want to just refine our passion? Yeah. That's big. Thanks. Hmm. I might ponder that for myself a little bit. I hope you do. Hope everyone does. Yeah, I think, you know, I was kind of sitting here taking that in. And um, when I feel threatened or, um, you know, and and threatening can come in a a myriad of ways. It can simply be how I want the world to see me. And I feel like that's being threatened. Um, It can be that I feel incompetent. It can be that um, I feel like I can't accomplish the things that are being asked of me. Then I really start to go external and I start to try and organize, you know, my response to that threat. And it happens Mm. quickly, Mm -hmm. right? But if I've kind of figured out anything in the last few years as I've watched all of these um, defense systems show up in my life, it's that the work is never out there. 
Mm. Yeah. The work is always in here. I really love the, the, um, I've started using life morts in some of my work, and it's something that I've seen float around for a long time. Spell that. Like L-I-F-E-M-O-R-T-S. Life morts. Morts meaning death, (laughs) but... So it's actually an acronym. And Ginger, if you could maybe just on your computer pull or your your little phony thing there, pull it up. Phony Phony thing. thing. Yeah, it's real. It's not not phony. It's real. (laughs) Phony Um, phone. But what I like about the life morts is it tells us that we have innate things, there's innate influences in our lives that will cause us to rage. And it's when certain things are threatened, right? Mm -hmm. And so we Mm -hmm. will innately rage against them. And it's things like, and I don't have them memorized, which is why I asked you to pull them up. Right. It is an acronym, Life Morts, from Douglas, um, I don't have his name right in front of me here, Understanding the Nine Triggers of Rage. Can I name them all? Please do. Good. L, life or death. I, insult. F, family. E, Environment, M, mate, O, order in society, R, resources, T, your tribe, and S, stopped, being stopped, restrained. Okay, so can I can I just look at it real quick? Uh-huh. So let's think about through those as teachers right now. I, I I'm going to leave the life or death alone. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to, but let's think about has our environment been threatened? in the past few years as educators. For sure. Has order in our society as educators been threatened? For sure. How about the number of resources that we have in order to do our job effectively? Yep. How about our tribe? If we consider our tribe to be the kids that we serve and then as one set of tribe, right? Your local community. And then consider educators as a giant tribe. Mm -hmm. Have those been threatened for us? Mm -hmm. And then have we been stopped from doing what our job is? Mm -hmm. It makes sense to be mad. Teachers, it makes sense to be mad. It makes sense to feel like you have to fight against the system. What I'd offer is that we know mad is always a combination of sad and afraid. And so if you're letting sad and afraid drive your action or letting mad Mm -hmm. drive your Mm -hmm. action, I'm going to argue that you're always going to run up against more roadblocks than if you go back into taking control of your passion and identifying we have new roadblocks how do we find new agency and new pathways to take back what is ours to do education in a way that's best for kids and best for teachers it's real the feelings are real it doesn't mean that we have to just sit and accept them and katie that is just some very powerful and profound um places to explore uh and to understand you know that yes our feelings are real. They're valid. They matter, and that they're they're those little dash lights on on the mm-hmm. on the dashboard of the car that are like, hey, here's an indicator. Hey, here's an indicator. Hey, here's an indicator. And there's more beyond that, yep. right? They point us to something. Yep. And you know, when we can walk into our place of um, service each day and know why we're there, mm-hmm. understand our role. <laughs> And understand our contribution to impact and let go of the rest of it. Yeah. Right? Just let it go. <laughs> like, I don't know. This is the role I've been assigned today. And here's the people that are in front of me. And I'm going to work really hard to serve, to create impact. And when I go home tonight, if I look back and those things happened, there's this level of peace. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. you're interested more uh, to learn more about those life morts that she was just talking about, you can Google that uh, uh, with R. Douglas Fields is the fellow's name. That's really good. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. The outrage, right? And so right. how do we turn it into um, in passion? Mm. Right, yeah. we just kind of go. We need to get rid of something, but we need to replace it. Right, right. Katie, I yeah, learned that from is you. Just, mad yes. is just unjust. Right, something's unjust, and it needs to change. So, Katie, I really want us to spend some time. Um, I have watched you develop, uh, author, develop, um, implement, and guide uh, the building neuroresilience curriculum. Mm-hmm. It's your body of work, and so I want you to just kind of share. What is it? What does it do? Um, and then I want to talk about some of the impact you've seen um, from folks that have been using it. Okay. So building neuroresilience started off as just um, a request that I had heard of um, needing to teach kids about their brains, right? And there are other social emotional curriculums out there that do that. I have found that most of them um, we stop using around second grade. And I don't know if you remember second grade very well, because I I don't. I cannot tell you what I learned prior to about fourth or fifth grade is where I can really be like, oh, this is what we did and this is what we learned. Um, I think we have to teach people about their brains through all stages of life and that the brain changes dramatically after those early years and that it is more than just an upstairs and downstairs brain. I think we've oversimplified the way we teach kids about the brain. And I think we've done that because we're scared of big words and kids understanding sometimes. And I've always found in my career, I taught kindergarten through sixth grade, that they can all learn really big words if you do it in ways that are developmentally appropriate and experiential. And so that's what I tried to do with building neuroresilience. It starts in pre-K, goes all the way through 12th grade. Um, Little secret, it actually goes all the way through life. And uh, we just teach kids about six centers of their brain, how they respond to stress, how they respond to trauma, how resilience overcomes that. And we throw in some good executive functioning skills as in, in that mm-hmm. process as well. And the goal is simply for kids to understand that what they're experiencing is normal. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret here that building neuroresilience, while it's a supplemental curriculum for kids, is actually to do everything that I've talked about earlier in this podcast. It's really to help the adults release judgment and embrace curiosity and give us the benefit of something that didn't exist when we were in school. Hmm. So the decade of the brain was the late 90s through the early 2000s. And that means that there is not a single teacher in a classroom today that was taught using this science. Not one. Because it literally did not exist and it was not influencing practice on a daily basis in classrooms. As a kid, you as mean a as kid, a kid, they not weren't a in a classroom. That's was, right, right. Great. Yeah, that's, yep. that's even really in college. Good, even in college, it was. It, this is not. It's brand new. This is brand new in our field, and so that's what we're really doing is we're teaching teachers mm-hmm. how the brain actually mm-hmm. works. Yeah. More and than so, just right side, left side. Yeah, more than right side, left side. More than just it can learn, right? Mm-hmm. I like to say that the brain was designed to survive. It's expected to thrive. And so we want to teach kids that, want to teach teachers that. And so it's a set, Building Your Resilience is an online course for teachers to learn about the brain, experience the curriculum themselves, deeply experience the curriculum themselves. Um, And then they get permission to use those lessons with their students. 
and kids are building emotional first aid plans. Um, older students are making capstone projects. So yep. I brought back some of that project-based learning that I love in there where mm -hmm. they're taking information and they're synthesizing it into something new and how they'll use it in their own lives. And um, it's, it's really having a remarkable impact in schools that are using it as circles. And then I also see an impact just in places where people are having conversations with their kids right at home at school wherever and asking what's going on with you what part of your brain is is lying to you right now or what part of your brain is trying to keep you safe and what do you need and kids are able to advocate for that mm -hmm. it's really it's really been an exciting thing i think sometimes in our line of work you build something and you're like okay this is kind of cool it might you know might help a classroom or two and then you start using it with actual humans mm -hmm. yourself and you're like whoa, whoa. How did this come together like this? Like this is something really special. You know, Katie, I'd like to just kind of go back just a little bit to something that you said. And there and just to speak well of everyone's contribution in the world and, and the things that they have done, I've always struggled a bit with some of the things that were out there prior to you creating this because I felt like we weren't deeply dug into the science of resilience, mm -hmm. which is the heart of what drove um, this creation for right. you. And really, because trauma is something that is part of human life. Um, it can be very terrifying when you first start to uncover that there's trauma and possibly I have some, mm. maybe more than some, right? And there's this moment for people, right? But the science of resilience is really where our hope lies and helping kids to understand you're not bad. Yeah. You know, I love when I look at your work and one of the things that jumps out right away is kids starting to understand my brain is boss. And when it starts to do certain things, right, there are times that some parts of my brain take over and actions occur yeah. out of that. The curriculum was really influenced by that um, as well. So as I studied the different parts of the brain, I started talking to kids and asking, here's this part of your brain and this is what it does, but when it's not operating correctly, this might happen. Has that ever happened to you? And every kid I talked to could say, yeah. And then they'd give me a story. And in that story, when they would end, every single one of them would say something like, so there's something wrong with me or not? Am I normal or not? Right? They're always asking that question. And I think that's true whenever I feel some mm. kind of way, right? I mean, I've, I've suffered with anxiety for a really long time. And when I come out of it, I always feel stupid after an anxiety attack, right? Like there's this sense of, I don't know that it's necessarily shame, but maybe just embarrassment, right? That there's something wrong with me that I cannot live my life without being afraid. And recognizing that that's, that is normal, that's a normal response to the things I've experienced in life. It might not be desired, but it's normal. It might not be desired, but it might be an appropriate response. And mm -hmm. that's hard because we've put different labels on a lot of mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And so when we can tell kids, I, I, I sat with a kid yesterday and he was just having a hard time. And so I just said, mad, sad, glad, afraid, what's going on? He told me a little bit, he was afraid. And so we talked just for a, two minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes, we talked about his amygdala, and that his amygdala is a little smoke alarm inside of its head telling him something's wrong, something is off, something you should pay attention to. And I asked him, is anything like that feeling for you right now? And he said yes, and he was able, I've never even, y'all, I have never even met this kid before. This is literally the first time I'd ever even met him. 
And in that space, he could tell me that what he was afraid of wasn't actually a thing that was happening right now. Right. And I, so I could say, oh, that's this part of your brain. Yep. That makes sense, man. That makes sense. Right now, are you unsafe or are you uncomfortable? And he was able to identify he was just uncomfortable. And then in that uncomfort, he was able to finish, I'm not kidding, six late assignments in about 15 minutes. In 15 minutes. In that Correctly. All I did was help him read the, read the directions to me out loud, but, and if you don't understand the directions, I'll give you, and I maybe did a little mini lesson of just identifying words. This is an ESOL student, so some of the directions were a little hard. And so I would just give a quick little reference on what it meant, and he did all of them, and correctly. Got 100% on every single assignment. He just needed to know that his brain was normal. And that safety allowed him to perform highly. To move and shift. Yeah. And get back to class. So with this, with the curriculum that you've built, what I really like about it is I don't have to take extra time as an adult to sit down and figure all this stuff out before I teach my kids. I can learn it as I'm teaching the as kids. You're yes. teaching kids. I actually mm-hmm. dug into it a little bit again last week, and 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 it was so scientific, and so uh, descriptive, and yet it was it was it was accessible to even me. And because it's in small bite-sized chunks. Yeah. And, and again, we know, and of course, chunking works, right? But we don't do that uh, for kids a lot. And, and so I think that's why it's so delicious. And then once I know this, I don't have to hold this curriculum in my hand when I have a kid who's feeling a thing. Yeah. I can pull it out like you did. Yeah. And the images are just really simple to use. And so if you can pull, I just pulled it up on my phone. I pulled the images up on my phone and said, look at this right here. This is, this is your brain. This is where it's at, right? Um, and so you're right. And, and then there's an experience and a reflection in there. And so anything that we do with kids, chunking works, making, it, making the abstract concrete works. Mm-hmm. And so one of the exercises for little kids, how do we teach little kids about their amygdala? We play freeze dance. Mm-hmm. And we're playing some music. And when the music plays, we got an image on the screen. When the, and then this, it stops. And you look at the screen. And it's a tiger. And in that tiger, does that scare you? And so you freeze. Or are you okay? So you keep dancing, even though the music stopped, right? And you're just making that really abstract thing concrete with a game that kids love to play. We're connecting all those parts of the brain. It's getting in there. And then we're talking about it afterwards. How did that feel? Mad, sad, glad, or afraid? Mm. And we accept all of the emotions that they have because they're all valid all of the time. We let them experience whatever is happening, and we experience their experience. Yep. Mm. Katie, um, we just want to say thank you so much. Uh, friends, if you want to find more about building neuroresilience, and I would highly recommend that you do, even if you're a parent, we've had parents get a hold of this that are taking kids through, it will truly change um, the way that we are having conversations and guiding people, not just young people, but people. Perhaps um, it's something that would be remarkable for you to go through yourself, especially if you spend a lot of time each day beating the crap out of yourself for the things that you do. Um, There is some real deep insight as well as some self-acceptance in there of um, not just yourself but others. So if you want to find Building Neuroresilience, go to... Online.esdac.org is probably the easiest place to find it. There you can find all of the online courses that we offer, and Building Neuroresilience is one of the featured courses on the website. 
Katie, thanks. We also want to point people to our fall conference, Bridging to Resilience, which will be in Wichita, Kansas this time. We are so excited. We changed venues and uh, got the cost way, way down so that all the humans that want to come um, are not prohibited. And we've still got great national and local speakers coming in to um, bring about connection change and a recommitment to passion that's so good katie ginger if you, you want to yeah. i was just going to say if you have any questions or comments that you want to tell katie or any other buddy on the team about what anything that you heard today you can uh, reach out at resilience team at esdac.org and just kind of get into our brains and and we'll, we'll have a conversation with you until next time friends um we want you to know that we hear you we see you we are with you and cannot wait to spend time with you soon bye for now